there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, Dan Raphael is here, senior writer, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. Quarantine expert down in Virginia who has been... Behind closed doors, this family. How many days now in a row is it for you, Dan? I believe today is day nineteen. Ooh, nineteen days. I, I, it's not going. And Chris, it's not going away anytime soon because uh, the, the Virginia governor just yesterday said to uh, stay in your house till at least June first, unless it's uh, an emergency or you got to go to the store or whatever. So, uh, me, my wife, and my son are hunkered down until June first. So what's your secret to quarantine sanity at this point? I, I can be sane because I live alone, and it's just – this is just like a regular Tuesday for me. It doesn't – there's no real difference. But you got a family there, man. What's the secret? It's a little different because one thing, though, as far as being home, that's not so much of a, of a different concept than usual for me because when I'm not traveling for fights, I work at home. So I've been sort of keeping to a similar schedule because I still have some things to do and we still have some stories to write. Uh, but yes, with my wife at home and my son at home, who's no longer going to first grade, uh, you know, for the rest of the school year, it's been interesting, but you know, you deal with it. I'd rather be with my family than be alone. So, you know, people, some might have a difference of opinion. Uh, you you get through it. You make do. (laughs) My difference of opinion. I'm just going to be alone for the foreseeable future. (laughs) As far as that goes. Um, have you found Dan, like, you know, everybody in boxing is alone too. I talk to a lot of people on a daily basis. I mean, how, how are the people you talk to in boxing handling all this? You know, pretty much, I think the same way that, that we all are, you just, uh, you get dealt the hand and, and you try to make the best of it. I mean, we all know, uh, at least intellectually, there are not going to be any boxing matches, at least in the United States for a long time. And I know that people are, um, want to stay positive, want to maintain, uh, you know, the, the right kind of uh, attitude towards what's happening. Uh, but I look at this and, you know, I don't think we're seeing any boxing matches of consequence, at least, at least until probably the end of the summer. You know, I think it might extend into the fall. And the, one of the reasons I say that is because in boxing, even once things 
quote unquote get back to normal and they're allowed to put matches together and and hotels open back up and the casinos open back up and and uh you know you can mount a promotion and people can travel to an event if they want to without fear of contracting the virus etc even when that's all dealt with it's still going to be at least in my opinion at least four or five weeks till you can actually have an event because you know, even if boxers are staying in shape by, by exercising and doing some road work by themselves and that sort of stuff, you know, the fighters still are going to need a, at least, I would say, even on a, on, a, on a scaled back training camp, you still need four weeks probably to get ready for a real fight at the minimum. Not to mention that you have to deal with things like, uh, you know, want to promote the event, you want to sell some tickets, you need to deal with your broadcast partners to iron out the TV schedules, you need to, you know, work with a venue to make sure you secure your arena and or your casino. Uh, so there's lots of things that go into that whole process. So it's not like, you know, suddenly things are open for business on, on a Monday and, you know, a week and a half later they can have a fight. It doesn't quite work like that. And it's, you know, it's the same when, when baseball or basketball or any of these other sports start up, uh, the, the athletes are going to need some time to prepare though. There's going to be another abbreviated spring training or, you know, in the NBA, you know, at least a few days or a week to, to go through some practices and get themselves uh, physically ready to go. So, you know, this is not automatic. And if you're closed down at minimum until June, in my mind, um, you know, I think it's going to extend much deeper than that. Yeah. I mean, look, you said a few things there. One, uh, one thing I talked to a promoter actually today that told me that one thing that is going to have to change, at least in the early months that boxing comes back is you're going to have a lot of catch weights. Like you need, need sanctioning bodies to, to relax some of these rules because fighters actually making weight is going to be going to be difficult, uh, for them. I don't, I don't know if you can say suddenly there's a, Whatever. I, I'll give you one example. Take, for example, uh, you know, there was supposed to be a world title fight at 140 pounds. I don't see a sanctioning body suddenly saying, okay, you know what, we're going to relax it still for the title, but they can be 143. I mean, there are certain things you can change and relax and, and, and manipulate, but you're not going to change the weight of the division that's been the same for 100 years. I mean, that's just not, in my mind, that's not happening. I would think that would be fraudulent, frankly. I mean, it's not to say they still couldn't have a boxing match. I mean, I'll give you an example. Maurice Hooker and Regis Progress are supposed to have a fight on April 17th. Obviously, that was postponed. That, they are two former junior welterweight champions who are going to fight at 143 pounds. Certainly, there's no reason that fight couldn't still happen you know, at whatever weight they decide because it's not for a title. But if uh, Jose Ramirez and Victor Post are in the same weight class or Josh Taylor and his mandatory from Thailand are going to still do their fights when they're rescheduled, there's a 140-pound fight. So you know, make the weight or don't fight until you can make the weight. So I don't see the, I don't see the organizations changing that element. Of, of the sport um, maybe some other things that they can deal with but uh, the weight is the weight if you're fighting in a world title fight in my mind yeah no I think you're right um, I, I do think that some of those non-title fights you'll see the weight fluctuate I, like an example would be probably you know Kovalev versus Sullivan Barrera if that winds up being made early on you could I mean that's a catch weight anyway right that was already supposed to be like I think 180 or something like that was the weight so that was already going to be over the weight and that was fine I think with both fighters um you know, but those, those are all things that people are going to have to take into account. But if you've signed to fight a welterweight title fight or a cruiserweight title fight or whatever, you know, that there's weight limits ascribed to those divisions, you know, so unless it's a heavyweight fight or a non-title fight, uh, you know, I think that the fighters are stuck with those weights, period. What do you think? I mean, the other thing you said there was that the end of the summer, and look, I've heard people say the same thing about uh, the end of the summer as when boxing comes back. What about the idea of fighting behind closed doors? What have you been hearing about you know, plans that could be in place for that to happen sooner? I have talked to the people that are involved with uh, commissions and that sort of thing uh, about that. 
uh, possibility. And on the surface, it sounds like a good idea. Obviously, you know, you obviously know spectators are going to be in harm's way if you do it behind closed doors. But I talked to one regulator and we had this conversation and it was very simple. That even if you keep spectators away, you still have all the people that are involved with the commission. You still have the boxers and their teams. Some of the promotional people, you still have, you know, even if you do a stripped down version of a production, you still have dozens of people that are involved in the production of the event for television. There's no reason to do an event behind closed doors if you can't broadcast it because what's the purpose of that? So let's say it's a top ranked ESPN event. You need at least, even if you, even if you cut it back dramatically, you're probably talking about at least 30 to 40 people on the production team, you know, and broadcasters as well. Um, I mean, you know, when you do a fight on the zone, you know how many people are there in the trucks and production assistants and floor managers and, you know, and all the different people that are involved in making that happen. You also have in a closed event, you're still going to have some security people, uh, you know, people that are logistical for the whatever venue you put the event in. You're still talking probably about even if you cut it down as much as possible, at least 100 plus people, maybe 200 people. So the point is, those people still have to make sure that they are not infected with the virus. They have to go through all that business to make sure that they're safe. Um, now, how do you do that? You, you have a weigh-in, for example. Let's say the fight's on a Saturday. You do the weigh-in on a Friday afternoon. Everybody makes weight. Everybody's tested who's involved in the event, and, and they're all free and clear of the, of the virus. So now what? What happens between the time of the weigh-in and the time of the event? You're going to quarantine people, and you know, even like the security guard or the, the janitor or the the, the person that does the catering, you're going you're gonna, to gonna have them stay over. I just, it doesn't seem feasible to me to do that. Not to mention the fact that take, take the Nevada commission, for example, Nevada, uh, their governor has said, like mo many states around the country, that you are not to report to work if, if you're not essential. I don't think anybody is going to say that the Nevada State Athletic Commission is essential and that they should work at home. So Bob Bennett, who I've talked to a few times during all this, he's been doing work. Uh, as best as he can, but he's been doing it from home. He's not going into the office. They'll have a commission meeting, for example, but it won't be in person in the in the uh, in the office building. They have it in the Sawyer building in, in Vegas. They'll do it over the telephone. Um, the point is, even if everything could be worked out, if, if Nevada says no non-essential personnel are going to go to an event, you can't have your judges and your inspectors and your commissioners and your executive director and all those people, the referees, the judges, show up at an event behind closed doors. So yes, it's a great idea in theory. I find it extremely difficult to see how it can be done just on a sheer logistical standpoint. Yeah, look, I think you're right because for all the reasons you articulated there, and the only way that it becomes feasible is if the testing changes in such a dramatic way that you can have those drive-up 15-minute tests available like they're thermometers. Like you can just walk into a CVS and grab one and do it. Maybe that can happen over the next few months. But as it stands now, even people who really need a test can't get the test in many places around this country. So, you know, I think a boxer, uh, you know, wanting to do an event behind closed doors is not necessarily on the top of the priority list in terms of people that need to have testing. No, I agree. It would have to, you'd have to see a, a dramatic shift in the next couple of months. I, I do wonder, though, Dan, like you mentioned the commissions and, and absolutely the biggest commissions are important, but... You can go to like casino, like Mohegan Sun, for an example. You you can go to these Indian reservation casinos, and their rules are a little bit different. Generally speaking, they abide by the state rules, but they don't have to. Like they can do whatever they want. So I'm curious if we see promoters try to go that route. You know, if they feel they can do things, if they feel they can do things safely, but 
maybe commissions aren't quite ready to go there yet? I mean, that is possible. I mean, there are a number of Indian reservations around the country that have casinos that have hosted boxing events. Uh, you know, the last fight that we saw, at least in this country, of any consequence, at least in terms of television, was the Showbox fight that was, I don't know, I guess, at this point, I guess, what, like two weeks ago? Uh, they did it uh, in a... Time has no meaning anymore. Time has no meaning anymore. Anyway, but that fight was in Hinckley, Minnesota, and it was over. It was regulated not by the Minnesota uh, Athletic Commission uh, folks. It was regulated by uh, the local uh, tribal commission that, that was involved with that casino. And they did that event with no spectators. So it was just the Showtime crew and the boxers on the card and, again, the people I mentioned that needed to be there. Um, so it was very limited in terms of the folks that were there. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but I had, a, I, you know, by looking on the TV and seeing people, there were some people sitting in the seats, there were fighters that were on the card, maybe their, you know, their girlfriend or their, or their, or their mom and dad or whatever. There still had to be at least a hundred people there. Um, they went through with it. But again, that was a couple of weeks ago when the severity of what's been going on, I don't think was known just quite yet. I'm not sure if those uh, people in that, in that tribal commission would do the same event today that they were willing to do just a few weeks ago. So, uh, you know, your point is well taken. It's possible, but, you know, I don't know if, if uh, even if uh, Indian Reservation is going to want to take that gamble either. I mean, they still have, have uh, employees and families and people that are going to be there that I don't think anybody wants to put people unnecessarily in harm's way. And no, keep I, in I mind, agree with that. Keep in mind, though, wherever those Indian Reservations are, they may have their own commissions, but they're still under the auspices of their state government. So, you know, in, if there was a casino down the street from my house in Virginia uh, and they want to do an event, if the governor of the state says no essential travel, everybody stay home, you know, they could still face, you know, punishment or fines or whatever for, for breaking that. So it, it's complicated. But, you know, I think everybody's going to have to take a deep breath and realize that there's not going to be any boxing of any magnitude, in my opinion, at least in this country for the first half of the year, except for what we've already seen. Yeah, and use the phrase of any magnitude, and that's what interests me too. Like, I think when boxing comes back, I'm still not convinced it comes back in front of eighteen to twenty thousand people in Las Vegas or eighty thousand people in uh, in Wembley Stadium in the UK. I'm wondering, you know, just what decisions the Canelo Alvarez's of the world, the Anthony Joshuas of the world, what decisions do they make? Do they elect to fight? You know, in August, September, whenever it may be. Uh, in front of smaller crowds and less gate revenue, or do they hold out and say, "All right, well, maybe we'll wait till December and hope that I can get the revenue that 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 comes with it." You know, that's a good question because you're talking about a Canelo Alvarez fight. Uh, it's one thing if you were to roll out a handful of fights in front of small crowds. For example, before things were canceled, you know, I had talked to Bob Aaron from Top Rank. Uh, they were willing to do the Shakur Stevenson event that was supposed to be in mid March and the Michael Conlon fight that was a couple of days later at the Madison Square Garden Theater in New York City. They were willing to do those fights with no crowd and give up their gay revenue. I said to Bob, I said, well, you know, how much money were you talking about? Because obviously they're still going to get a license fee from ESPN. Uh, in terms of the gay revenue, Bob estimated that between the two shows that the that the Shakur show was on track to generate a gate probably north of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, probably closer to three hundred thousand dollars, and that the Michael Conlon fight, you know, not being a world title fight, being on a weeknight on a Tuesday, uh, would have drawn a little bit less in terms of the money, even though he's a popular fighter. So, you know, Top Rank probably lost out in terms of gate revenue. They were willing to give up probably about five hundred thousand dollars ish in the gate. So that's still a hit for any company. Um, when you're talking about a Canelo Alvarez fight where the gate generates literally on the worst night of a Canelo big fight, you're talking about a gate probably in the eight to $9 million neighborhood. And for a bigger fight, you know, you're talking about, I mean, the, the triple G fights were well in excess of $20 million. So 
you know, that's a huge part of the overall revenue for an event. You cannot put that fight on and give that up under the same financial model that, that currently exists. Now, if Canelo wants to alter his, uh, you know, what he requires or the companies or whatever, you know, that's one thing. But under the, under the terms of what they usually do, nobody's giving up that kind of money. An Anthony Joshua fight with 70,000 people on June 20th at that new stadium in London probably would generate a gate, you know, because the ticket prices are cheaper. That's probably you're looking at a gate of like around $10 million. That's not insignificant. You know, that's, that's basically what pays uh, for the opponent and lots of other things as part of the event. So that is a massive part of their revenue. Uh, I don't see those. I don't think, I don't think that happens now on a smaller card, possibly a promoter might be willing to, to, to give that up. Um, but on a bigger show, I just don't see it. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, Dan, let's talk a little bit about some things involving actual boxing right now. Uh, if if things had not gone the way they've gone, Billy Joe Saunders would have been in line to face Canelo Alvarez in May. Uh, decent fight. Saunders, a real title holder, undefeated, uh, talks a big game. So that was the plan anyway. But everything's now in flux with everything that's gone on right now. And Billy Joe Saunders may be talking his way out of the fight entirely. Uh, Saunders who continues to put his foot in his mouth. Uh, He very recently found himself in hot water again. A video posted on social media where he's hitting a punching bag and describing it as what a man would do when uh, his wife or girlfriend uh, nags him too much during all this quarantine. It's basically paraphrasing uh, what he said. Not the first time Saunders has been in trouble for stuff like this. Uh, What do you make of all this, Dan? Why is Billy Joe Saunders so self-destructive? And what impact does his comments and the British Boxing's decision, Board of Control's decision to suspend him, what impact does that have on his future? 
Well, he's just a dope, number one. Number two, I'm going to take exception with two things you said. You said he keeps putting his foot in his mouth. I hope that somebody put their fist in his mouth, number two. And also, uh, you called him a real title holder. I don't think he's a real title holder at all. The guy won a vacant title against a complete nobody and then made a defense in which he looked absolutely horrendous uh, and barely won. Uh, you know, he got the stoppage, but it was a, an abysmal performance. So, again, against a, a complete nobody opponent as well. So, you know, yes, he has a belt and he has a nice record and he talks a lot. So, therefore, Canelo, uh, after much discussion about him or Liam Smith, uh, or sorry, Callum Smith, rather, uh, opted to fight Billy Joe Saunders. But, honestly, that fight does not do a lot for me. I don't think it does a lot for any boxing fan. As far as how the suspension that, that he was given by the British boxing uh, board uh, you know, he is suspended, but they have to have a meeting to determine the length of that suspension. So that is completely unknown at this moment, how they're going to do that, when they're going to do that, how they're going to meet. You know, that's completely up in the air. Uh, and because uh, it's, a, it's under the, the UK system, it's not a guarantee that that license would be withheld in the United States. Now, Nevada, where the fight is supposed to take place, they may look at that, they may ask some questions, but, you know, in the end, they would certainly be within their authority to give him a license in Nevada. Um, so, you know, he could be in some trouble in, in terms of that fight. I think more so than whatever suspension he may take is because the fight is going to be backed up so much that it may end up going away just based on the length of time it may take to get it in the ring. And when you talk to the fighters and their teams and certainly, uh, the people at the zone who are supposed to pay a lot of money for these fights that involve fighters like Canelo and Triple G, they may get their way and say, look, look, let's just scrap this Saunders fight that's not. Uh, again, not a terrible fight, but it by no means is it a, a huge event for the whole public. Same goes with uh, Triple G's fight that he's supposed to have against the mandatory challenger, Zermenta, uh, that was supposed to be in early June, uh, which probably won't happen either. And say, look, guys, let's just do this one. And it would give the zone the opportunity uh, in a moment in time where they're struggling big time because they have no other programming, right? They have nothing at the moment because there's no live sports, particularly boxing, which is what they've hitched their wagon to at this moment when they don't have. Uh, rights to big big leagues, uh, basically use a Triple G uh, Canelo third fight to sort of, you know, we're back, relaunch things with arguably one of the biggest fights in the entire sport. Uh, I think that could happen. But again, I'm, I, don't, I don't have inside knowledge of that. But I think that uh, Billy Joe's uh, trek towards this fight may be more uh, knocked off track because of what I just mentioned, as opposed to whatever suspension he may take from the British regulators. First, there is tremendous quality programming on DAZN right now, including jabs with Mannix and Mora, and this podcast that you're on right now, Raphael, the video version of this podcast. I only meant in terms of the live fights. <laughs> there, listen, if you have, if you're a subscriber to DAZN or ESPN Plus or these other services, you know there's plenty of material to watch in the libraries to get you through the day if you're bored because of the, you know, the fact that you're most people are staying in. But at the end, you know, the business is still modeled on live events. All that other stuff is great, but it's kind of like gravy. You know, the, the, the steak is, is the big fight, is the big event. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt that those, uh, those companies are going to struggle until they can produce some of that live programming. Um, but, yes, I, I don't miss, I don't miss the, the Mannix podcast or the, or the jabs. I could live without Sergio Mora a little bit, right? I, I could live with a little less Sergio Mora as well. I do like they're doing something now with Oscar De La Hoya uh, watching back his old fights, which is actually kind of cool to like hear Oscar, you know, think about what he was thinking against Gotti and some of these other fights. I think that's so. But I'm with you. You have to have live events to to thrive 
um, in this business. I, and I, I think, look, I think anyway, Canelo should just move past Saunders. Don't try to rush back for a Saunders fight where he could t- easily take you the distance and, you know, put in jeopardy a potential fight in September against Golovkin. That's where all the money is. You can fight Golovkin in September, and you can come back in December if you want and take a big fight against a Saunders if you want to do it in the UK, a Murata if you want to do it in Japan. There's still opportunity here, Dan, for Canelo to fight twice this year. Yeah, you just do it in the other order. You know, if the idea was to fight, you know, uh, the Saunders level fight, and they had been discussing with Murata before Saunders, there was this discussion of Callum Smith, uh, you know, you can certainly, if if things are back up and running, you could do it in the other order. He is supposed to fight twice a year. You know, when he first joined the zone, he fought the first fight in December, uh, which was not that long after his second fight with Triple G. So, yes, it is certainly possible that under that scenario, uh, he could do that. He went from Triple G to the Rocky Fielding fight and then came back in May and did the fight with uh, Daniel Jacobs. So, yeah, no, that that is certainly possible. I know they like to keep that September date because that's still a big deal for for Canelo, given that it's the weekend of the Mexican Independence Day. Um, yeah, but I think, look, the, the biggest thing that's going to be going on in boxing when things do get ramped up is how the promotional companies get their guys back in, not that they get them back in the ring, but in what order do they get them? You'd like to think that the guys who had fights canceled out or postponed, they're first back in. Uh, but that's then going to knock everybody else off schedule also. I think what we're looking at, and I don't know, you know, this is going to, a lot of it's going to be up to, the broadcast outlets, whether it's ESPN or DAZN or how Fox and Showtime handle their PBC arrangements. I mean, you could, you know, jam basically nine months of fights into like, you know, four or five months and basically have something significant every single week, not every other week. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to also be probably even more of a case where you have, you know, good shows uh, on top of each other on the same day, which, uh, you know, nobody likes to see the, the, the clash of two events on the same night. It happens a lot these days, but it may be even more. Once things get ramped up, I mean, there's going to be a lot of things uh, for people to figure out. I was thinking about and using with uh, one of the people in the business about, you know, let's say Top Rank has, they've had to cancel like I think six or seven shows so far. You know, if it's conceivable that you find a a location that's into it, let's say, you know, you go to like an MGM or wherever, or, you know, a, a Hulu theater, wherever you may do your event and literally do like, you know, four or five shows over the span of like two weeks in the same location just bang them out one after another. And it would give the broadcaster plenty of inventory. You know, it would certainly create a lot of interest from the fans if you were getting, you know, quality events one after another after another. I mean, it's not a perfect scenario. You usually like to let events, you know, breathe a little bit, build up a little bit, get some attention, some media. Uh, but that could be one way uh, where they could try to get their fighters and their, and, their, and their business back on track by pumping out, you know, a whole series of quality events in a, in a more compressed time frame. Yeah, it's really interesting. If sports comes rolling, roaring back, you're going to have not just fights on top of fights, but you know, fights on top of golf tournaments, fights on top of tennis tournaments, NFL, college football. I mean, it's going to come back in a big-time wave. Let me ask you, though, um, the idea that Canelo doesn't need the Saunders fight, I buy, because Canelo's coming off a Fighter of the Year campaign, was brilliant in 2019. Golovkin, not so much. I mean, Golovkin, not... A perfect performance against Steve Rolls, a guy he should have just completely blown up, most likely had a tough second round there. Uh, the fight with Derevinchenko was nip and tuck right away, all the way to the very end. Does Golovkin need a fight in between? Should he be more interested in trying to take on a Zarameta to get himself in the kind of condition and shape he needs to be in to fight Canelo? I guess in a perfect world, probably, but he's the one that's been 
the most desperate, the most begging of the Canelo fight. It's been Canelo that's sort of like kind of, you know, doesn't really care one way or the other, apparently, if he has the fight. I mean, when he agreed that he would fight him a third time in the fall, you know, he was there to extract more money out of the deal uh, to make it worth his while to go for a fight that he feels like he doesn't need because, you know, again, this is not my opinion. Canelo will tell you he feels like he beat him twice, you know, at the very least in the rematch um, and doesn't really see a need for that fight. So Golovkin's the one that's really wanted it. But, you know, at, at his age and with the layoff, you know, a, a fight against Zermanta might not be the worst thing, but he's not in a position to demand that or command that at all. You know, we'll see what happens. I'm sure that if, if the opportunity to, to skip that fight uh, is, is available to him and he can go right into a Canelo fight in the fall, you know, that's uh, probably what he would do. It's sort of like what you were mentioning earlier, Chris, about, you know, uh, dealing with fighters with the weight situation. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that aren't perfect when they come back. But that said, I would say every fighter out there, there, there will be boxing again. So they should all, if, you, if you're going to think you're going to fight sometime in the fall, you, you know, I'm not saying you're going to make your weight tomorrow, but you should be, you know, in the vicinity knowing that you may only have four weeks to get to the weight. So, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to, to, to get as ready as you can. Uh, and if they can't, it's going to be on them, not on anybody else. How significant an underdog do you make Golovkin in that third fight? I mean, given what we know about Canelo and where he is in his career, still just 29 years old, and Golovkin uh, approaching 37 years old. Uh, I mean, how big an underdog is he? He's an underdog, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, uh, you know, he, like you mentioned, he, he, did, he won against Rolls. He knocked him out, but he did not look that good. He got touched up a little bit more than you would have thought. Um, there are many people that felt like he lost to Devranchenko, period. Um, even if you felt he won the fight, it was a extremely physical, grinding, grueling, difficult, hard. You know, it's probably the worst physical abuse that Triple G has ever taken in any fight in his entire career. And that includes both fights against Canelo Alvarez. So, you know, while Golovkin is still a fantastic fighter, he's still pound for pound quality, he's still, you know, near the top of the sport, still one of the best middleweights in the world. Um, it's very obvious, and this is not in any way an anti-Triple G. I've been one of the biggest Triple G guys out there. Uh, supporters for his entire campaign since he's first come on the scene in America. I was following him even back when he was still in Germany. So the point I'm making though is he's he's over the other side of the mountain. He's still high near the top, but it's you know he's on the decline. That's all there is to it. It may not be uh, you know a massive decline, but clearly he has lost a little bit at least, even if you want to be charitable. Whereas Canelo still looks fantastic. He's still in my mind still adding to his arsenal. He's not taking huge punishment in his fights. He, he trains his rear end off. Uh, he's got a good team around him. And, you know, he's still, in my mind, still in his prime at age 29. So, you know, I think by the time they meet a third time, um, you know, we may get, you know, a more definitive uh, of outcome in terms of Canelo winning the fight. I think Triple G, you know, I've, I've thought about this. Uh, you know, his best thing may just be to just let it all hang out and just, you know, run right to him and, and, and make it a Hagler-Hearns kind of fight and just see if he can blast him. Because one thing Triple G does have uh, that has not gone away with the, with the age is he still can, you know, crack. He's still got great punching power. Uh, why not see if you can land one of those big shots and then and just go for it? Yeah, I think that might be his only chance to win. I don't think he now boxed Canelo in a, in a third fight, but maybe you can clip him and knock him out. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... 
It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Uh, on Golovkin, you know, we, he, he made the trainer change over a year ago. He's had a couple of fights with Jonathan Banks. How would you evaluate that? I mean, we just talked about how he didn't look great last year. How much of that do you put on on Banks and things he's done, and how much of it is on Golovkin and where he is in his career? You know, it, it's kind of like uh, which came first, chicken or the egg. It's sort of like you really never know. Obviously, when he fought uh, Steve Rolls, that was the first fight that he had with John. They had a very short period of time together. I remember going to the news conference in Vegas when they announced that that Jonathan would become a Gennady's new trainer. Um, you know, and and Jonathan Jonathan's a good guy, and he's a very knowledgeable boxing person. He learned from Manuel Stewart the best. He had a good professional career himself as a heavyweight. Um, he was under no false illusions that suddenly, in you know, in a, in a handful of weeks, that he's suddenly going to make some dramatic change uh, to triple G not, and triple G didn't need any kind of dramatic change. You just, you need somebody there to make sure you're in shape and you run through the things the proper way. So whatever went down in the Steve Rolls fight, you know, one way or the other, I don't think that's on banks at all. Uh, you know, in the Devonchenko fight, uh, again, I don't know if they had, they didn't, I don't think they had the wrong plan in that fight. I think that, that Jonathan Banks can't make Golovkin not show his age. So, you know, I don't know if I put much on, on the trainer in, in the Triple G situation. Part of it is uh, the way that he fights and, and, and the wear and tear that he's taken and the age. I mean, you know, there are no miracle workers when you reach a certain age in this sport. I mean, you know, you could take an old, you know, you when Muhammad Ali was at the end, you know, could have still given him, you know, all the greatest trainers in the world. It wasn't going to turn back the clock against Larry Holmes or against Trevor Griffin. You could have given him Angelo, Dundee, Emmanuel Stewart, Teddy Atlas, Freddie Roach, you know, pick all the great trainers in the history of the sport. It wasn't going to help him. You can throw Eddie Futch in there also. You know, at that age, he was done. Um, and uh, the trainer can come up with a great game plan and, and make sure the guy's in shape and, and, and in condition, And uh, but they can't fight for him. Yeah, and look, I think if you, if you want to look at the history of Golovkin's trainers, I mean, I don't know that Abel Sanchez distinguished himself in that second Canelo fight. I mean, he didn't really have a great game plan to counteract Canelo coming straight at Golovkin. I mean, they begged Golovkin to come straight, or they begged Canelo to come straight at him, and he did. And 
and he came right at him. And the one thing that was said in the lead up to that fight is, why is why where are the body punches? Uh, which is something that that Triple G, you know, is extremely uh, adept at doing, and he's very good at it. We've seen him score knockouts with body punches, and it just disappeared. And you know, you can you can yell in the corner or yell in training camp all you want about what you should use, a certain weapon you should employ, but if the fighter, you know, either can't or won't, uh, what are you supposed to do? So, I've always been kind of torn about this, but I, I believe this very strongly. I think that the trainer in boxing is very overrated in many ways. Not that they don't provide and do a big service. Sometimes they can make a huge difference, a massive difference. I mean, look at what Freddie Roach did with Miguel Cotto when he got him late in his career. Look what uh, Emmanuel Stewart did when he took on Vladimir Klitschko. So there are some that you can pick out that make a dramatic difference. But just fight to fight to fight to fight, you know, it doesn't necessarily make that big of a difference. And I've always believed that the trainer – you know, who, who the fighter picks has to be the guy that they're comfortable with. So there was a lot of discussion, for example, going into the rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, uh, which seems now about a million years ago, even though it was only like a month and a half ago, um, last big fight that we may be seeing for a long time. But the point is that when Tyson Fury went into that fight, a lot of people questioned, why would you switch trainers from Ben Davison to go to uh, Sugar Hill when you had done very well with Ben as your trainer, you had drawn with Wilder in the first fight, even though many, and many people had thought that he deserved the win. And Fury made a good point. He says, look, I, you know, a draw is not a win. So I had to change something. And he switched trainers and he came out and he said all the things he was going to do. He actually did them. And so in that particular instance, even, even though maybe the trainer wouldn't have made that much of a difference in most people's minds, it doesn't matter what I think, what you think, what fans think, what his promoter thinks. If the fighter thinks it makes a difference, then they have to do what they have to do because the only person that the trainer has to answer to is the boxer. The boxer has to feel comfortable with the guy in the corner. I mean, they can put a potted plant in the corner with a guy. If that fighter feels comfortable with the potted plant, then so be it. That's the way I look at it. So if back to what we're talking about with Triple G and Canelo, if Triple G is comfortable with Jonathan Banks as his trainer, whatever lessons he's teaching in the gym or whatever he's preaching or showing him makes no difference. As long as Golovkin thinks it's the right thing and he's comfortable with it, that's all that matters. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a great point about trainers. Um, and I, I'm just curious what how that all plays out with Canelo. If, if Jonathan Banks comes up with a game plan that's more interesting, I guess, than what he had in the last fight. Uh, Dan, always appreciate it. And by the way, I read one of your recent columns on ESPN.com. Welcome to Team Charlo Andrade. I would like to welcome you to the family. We got to get into that a little bit. Oh, you oh, look, you. I, I don't. I'll talk about this till the end of end of days. Like this is. The best fight to be made in boxing, period. You can take all your other fights. I want Andrade versus Charlo. I wrote that in that piece because people who are not familiar, I've been doing these resets of the divisions since there's not a lot of fights going on or no fights going on. We were like, okay, let's take two divisions. We'll, we'll not, you know, at the very bottom of the weight scale, we'll do three, but we'll come up with a series of questions and we'll sort of reset the division. So it was sort of like, you know, what's uh, the biggest question I have about the division? Who's the biggest star in the division? What's the, the fight you want to see the most? Who's the dark horse in the division? So I've been going through systematically, division by division, writing those stories. And when I got to uh, the middleweight division, and, and it was the question posed was, what's the fight you want to see? I thought to myself, hmm, we all know that Triple G and Canelo is the big fight. But we've already seen that twice. And while I'm not opposed to a third fight, I was trying to think, what's another good fight? So I, I thought to myself, my good friend Chris Mannix has been driving me and everybody else in this sport nuts for months about his love and desire for Charlo Andre. And I was like, you know what? 
I don't agree with Chris about everything, but you know what? I'm going I'm to give the man props on this one. So I picked that one. Uh, your name does not appear in the column, but that was for you, my friend. And uh, but I but in all seriousness, I agree. We know we've seen Canelo and and uh, Triple G fight twice before. You know, I think a lot of people kind of think they know what's going to happen in the third fight. Charlo and Andre are both guys who are excellent fighters. They've both been junior middleweight champions. They're both now with titles at middleweight. Neither of them have had a defining fight yet in their career. They need a big name. They need something that's going to get the fans excited. Uh, they need competition. And the winner of that fight, and by the way, those guys are the two guys that probably most people would place right behind uh, Golovkin and Canelo in the middleweight division, perhaps Devonchenko, whatever. But but they're clearly among those elite fighters in that 160-pound weight class. And if you really want to get a shot at the winner of Canelo versus Triple G3, you know, earn it. The guy that would win a fight between Charlo and Andre, which I happen to think would be a good fight because they've been talking a little smack with each other. Andre is a master boxer. Charlo can box too, but likes to come forward and make him and mix it up a little bit. I think it's a good style fight. Um, the guy that wins that fight by acclamation will have the public saying, you know what, that guy deserves to get a fight with a Canelo caliber opponent or a Triple G. And, uh, you know, they don't have to go out there and beg for a big fight. They'll have earned that position. And on top of that, very makeable, at least in terms of Canelo, Triple G, and Andre all being with the zone. Charlo, while he's with PDC, he's not bound to any network. Eddie Hearn has been out there offering him sick amounts of money in recent times to do the fight. Take the money. If you win, you, you can go back to your PBC home and fight on Showtime or Fox. If you lose, you know, your career's not over. You know, to me, it makes all the sense in the world. So I'm on Team Mannix. I love that fight. Welcome to Charlo, the Charlo Andrade family. And look, I, I, you know, people know listening to this podcast, I work for DAZN. I'm part of the broadcast team there. But like, I, I wouldn't care if that fight wound up on Showtime or Fox. It doesn't matter to me. I'd, I'd be there ringside. I know you well enough. I know you well enough over these years to know that, yes, you know, you do work for them. Same way I work for ESPN. But I have often advocated for fights that could be on other networks the same way you have because we take our checks from one place, but we want to see the best fights. And that is one of the best fights. And let me say this, like, and as I say that, you know, if you're Charlo, like you, you obviously are loyal to Al Heyman. I get that. A lot of fighters are deservedly so. Um, but like the, the Eddie Hearn side of the street represents so much money. Like even if you, if you win the fight against Andrade, you get uh, probably get a shot at Canelo at some point in the very near future. You like you said, you you become by by acclamation the next man up. If you lose, you've talked about moving to 168 anyway. You got Danny Jacobs up there. Jacobs, who you've been back and forth with for for years about fighting. Jacobs wants to fight you. You've also made like seven million dollars. Those two fights are over ten. I'll, I'll quote the great philosopher Floyd Mayweather one time talking about some humongous fight that he was involved with, where. Everybody was making, this is before he was making, you know, $100 million plus a fight. Maybe he was making, you know, $20 million for the fight. Uh, when you're making that kind of money, there are no losers. Yeah. Well, Dan, just for that, I'm sending you and your son Charlo Andre t-shirts. Uh, so look for them in the Virginia Mail at some point in the uh, immediate future. Uh, Dan, always appreciate it, man. Great stuff. Keep up the good work. And uh, thanks for joining me here. You bet. Let's, uh, let's all get through the, the uh, pandemic together. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? 
And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.